Hello there everyone and welcome to the UCL Careers podcast. My name's Joe Budd and I'm a careers consultant here at UCL Careers. This episode brings you a panel discussion on ways to connect with UCL alumni as part of our international development themed week. This discussion will focus on the importance of creating and maintaining professional networks, surrounding yourself with people who inspire you, and letting your curiosity lead you to find out about roles and projects you didn't know about. So let's get into it. So without further ado, Nisha, if I can start with you, please. Um, can you tell us a bit about what your role as a gender specialist involves and what a day-to-day looks like? Yes, thanks for the invitation. It's good to be back at UCL. Um, <laughs> it's been a while. So, um, I mean, I can give an example of what I'm doing right now to be more specific. So um, uh, part of the work that we do is to disperse COVID grants uh, that provide relief and uh, response to communities and in developing country uh, with our partners. So we have, a, we have about 66 partner countries within um, the, the partnership uh, who's uh, within within the within their education systems, they've been very stressed with with trying to deliver COVID response and, and and deliver learning and education while schools have been closed, and then when they reopen, bringing kids back to school. So one example is uh, when the schools were closed and we were given we were giving disbursements of we had about five hundred million dollars that we were dispersing. The question was, how does the school closures uh, how do they affect girls and boys differently? So, for example, when schools close, girls were at risk of, of gender-based violence, early pregnancies, forced marriages. How do we create the conditions for the grants to reach the girls differently? And then in terms of convincing communities that it was, it was worth to keep girls in school or worth to send them back to school when, when they reopen. So doing social programming around messaging, around like changing social norms or addressing social norms and creating safeguarding mechanisms so that girls who um, are in danger of, of gender-based violence or, or forced marriage uh, can be reached by, by, the, by the system uh, so that they, they can continue learning. That's just one example. That's sort of an external example and an internal example, which is what another project that I'm doing right now within the operations of our organization is we've made a promise to make gender mainstream throughout every pro- project program and operation that we do so i'm also rolling out a gender course to all of the all of our staff so i'm working with plan international and we're trying to get everybody to have gender uh, equality as part of their results agreement and to understand how gender works throughout their projects programs and activities so it's a quite a broad, a broad uh, field, gender. It's a cross-cutting field, and there are loads of different ways that you can apply it. That's just two examples. But that sounds like a really, really um, rewarding role, and there's lots of different things going on, which is fantastic. Um, once you completed your degree at UCL, um, I understand you joined a non-profit working with young people. Um, Can you tell us a bit how you found that transition, what skills you felt you had implemented from your time at university, and perhaps if you feel like you still implement those skills? Yeah, it feels like such a long time ago. (laughs) So reflecting back on that, I think if, you know, and then this is something to ask, you know, when you're, when you're graduating, what is it that you want to do in terms of your immediate, your immediate goals and your long-term goals? And I think my immediate goal was to understand 
um, how local communities were affected by certain social issues. And um, so one option could have been, you know, to, to do a to do a graduate program on social work or, or something like that. But I, I kind of want to do something very, very ground level. And so this was an opportunity to work with and for very disadvantaged children and to understand the dynamics of their disadvantage and try and create some change that was, that was small but impactful on the ground. So I think the skills I took from university were, you know, obviously the communication around, you know, how, how to solve problems, how to, how to uh, communicate effectively, I had to do kind of some advocacy and outreach. So it was a lot of like, because I did languages and then I, I did uh, Latin American studies. So that was more of a topic that I wasn't applying so closely in my day to day. But because I knew that I wanted to eventually go into something more development focused, getting some sort of ground level work was really important. However, I did when I I knew when I was going into that role that it was only going to be a short term opportunity. And I stayed there for a year, knowing that I had, the decision was to leave London and, and to, to move abroad. So it was just I think when you when you go into these first roles after you leave university, sometimes you, you feel like it could be long term, longer term if it's a graduate scheme. And sometimes it's more of, a, a, of just a, an opportunity to get some really ground level work experience. And that's what it was for me. Um, and I think working with affected communities is something that I was able to do when I left as well. So we can talk about that another time. But like, I think really getting to grips with what, it, what, what your values are and, and being able to understand how police brutality were, was affecting these kids, for example, that was one really inspiring way of understanding how, how communities are affected by police brutality. And I, and I then went back and worked on that later on. Just talking about values sort of leads me on to my next question which is you continue to support the regional working group on women, drug policy and incarceration. And that's something you've co-founded. Um, can you talk us through what type of things you work on, any specific challenges you face and how you overcame them? Sure. So um, that group was founded with a senior colleague of mine who was really inspirational to me. So I think one of the first pieces of recommendation I would give is surround yourself by people who inspire you. Because when I started that group, I was... You know, it was about five years ago. It was the first sort of thing that I had, been, had set up from scratch. But working with people who inspire you, she was senior to me, and and we came up with this this idea together when we were we were on a work project. And together we pooled our our network of experts and brought them all together in a group. So, so um, I think what what's really important, what was really important to me was to, despite not having necessarily. A, a plan for it. We knew that we wanted to do advocacy work. We wanted to get people together in one space to discuss the issues that were important. And so one of one of the issues was there was that women were disproportionately incarcerated for drug crimes in Latin America. And so we created the we created some advocacy tools. We did a policy uh, guide for decision makers on how they could create policies that were more humane and effective and human rights focused. Um, some of the challenges were that when we came up to governments who were more punitive in their approaches, we had to convince them of the benefits of seeing from another perspective, which was that incarceration doesn't create social, uh, doesn't create the conditions that you're eventually looking for, which is peaceful, inclusive societies. Incarceration destroys families, incarceration separates um, separates uh, communities as well. So how how do you how do you sort of reframe a problem? 
um, drug policy is, a, is, a, is another issue that is, you know, has a huge development focus, but often the development, development community don't want to look at it. So we tried to bring a, an, a topic that was considered more a security topic into the human rights and development space. So that was a challenge, but and we're still working on that. So I, even though I'm no longer working on it day to day, um, I did a panel about a month ago on it with uh, a partner group in Argentina. So it's now I do it on a on a voluntary basis, and it's still like a very important and dear project to my heart. So making sure that you keep up with it is you know important as you as you move on. Whatever you whatever you want to keep doing, just um, hold on to your network. I would say is is a really important part. Moving forward, that's really really helpful advice. Thank you. And that just leads into the next question, which is for the students in the audience today, um, or who are interested in working in this area. What advice can you offer? And is there certain things you'd be encouraging for them to be doing or getting involved with at the moment? Really honing in on what it is that you think your issue area is going to be, because development is such a broad, broad sort of a career uh, base. You can you could work on. Uh, poverty reduction, violence prevention, climate change. If you have a sense of what you're passionate about, um, look into it, Speak, reach out to organizations either London-based or internationally based. And that's one of the, I think, one of the ways that the pandemic has, has almost um, provided the opportunity to, to, to open up our network. So, you know, you, you don't have to be restricted to your London community. If you, if there's an, an organization outside of London and, and you know, even a field-based organization that you could do some research assistancy for from your home, um, reach out to people, get yourself, get yourself sort of communicating with those people who you've identified that are doing the work that you're interested in. And then ask yourself, um, how do I want to work? Do I want to work in a large multinational intergovernmental institution full of bureaucratic systems where I can do, you know, this certain kind of operational project and this kind of uh, um, implementation? Or do you want to work in a more humanitarian setting in the field? And in which case, there are amazing opportunities to plug in. You could, you know, start starting your career, I think, is a wonderful time to go to the field because perhaps you haven't yet started, you know, a family or you're, you're not ready to do that yet. So getting out there into the field as soon as you can, if that's something that you want to do, not everyone does want to do that and that's okay. But if you think you want to get some ground level country, you know, deep field experience, I would say get out there and, and do it as, as, you know, as soon as it's possible to do so, as soon as it's safe to go um, try and, and do that. Um, and I would also say, you know, this just as more of a general recommendation is like really, really use the UCL Career Center because, you know, UCL Careers is a wonderful, wonderful resource. Everyone there is so qualified to help you. And I really benefited from it myself. So, so continue to engage with UCL Careers. Thanks, Anisha. Um, you know, you sort of touched on the benefits of this pandemic and sort of remote delivery. Anisha's actually joining us from the States um, and our other panelist Sophie is also um, joining us from Argentina. Um, so it's absolutely amazing that we can have panelists from, you know, based all over the world. Um, thank you so much, Anisha. Um, Sophie, Sophie, you are a consultant at the Partnership for Mental, Maternal, Newborn and Child Health, and that's hosted by the World Health Organization. Can you tell us a little bit about what that involves? Oh, thank you, Asima. I'm actually in Barcelona, just to clarify. <laughs> um, Sorry about that. 
<laughs> no, 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 still Europe. Um, no, so I do a lot of different things and I'm still at the really early stages of my career. So I started working for PMNCH in August and as a consultant, I kind of do a lot of different tasks. And at the moment we're working on an adolescent uh, and well-being initiative. And in that kind of role, I'm actually doing a research paper and at the same time organizing events in order to host this, like uh, amplify its initiative. So I'm doing background research, writing, organizing events, then doing some stakeholder management. So really the, the role is quite broad and it's given me a lot of opportunity to learn different things. And I also, just as Nisha was saying, I have a really good mentor and that's really important at this point for me. And I really am excited to see how this journey continues. It sounds like you sort of like your role dips into a lot of different skill sets. You mentioned sort of stakeholder, communication, you know, event planning, all of those sort of things, which is great because a lot of our students who are in the audience today will be from various different disciplines. Um, so just being able to adapt their skill set um, and apply it to the industry, I think is, is great. Um, you were involved in volunteering and also undertook a few posts at UCL. Can you tell us a bit about this and what do you think sort of volunteering and work experience, sort of what value do you think has added, that has added to your career so far? So I uh, undertook a couple different things at UCL. I was a transition mentor in my third year, I remember. I was also a volunteer at the UCL Grant Museum of Zoology. I did some volunteering at the Alzheimer's Society, and then I was social secretary of um, School Diving Society. And finally, I was the um, community engagement officer at the UCL Swimming Club. And all in all, these different kind of roles I held, I definitely think they helped me get the internships and then the job that I have now because they gave me the experience I kind of needed on my CV to also kind of show my interest in international development. I definitely think the UCL Swimming Club role that I held, I was able to organize events with different charities, different NGOs around London. And just by just getting my foot in the door with different organizations, I was able to really develop some skills, but also connect with different people. And so from, I think definitely early on, some of those people I'm still connected with, and I definitely think that was worth it. That just goes back to sort of what Nisha was mentioning earlier about sort of mentoring and keeping your network mm -hmm. and that sort of thing, which, which is, is invaluable. Um, and you touched on sort of some of the internships that you took and I know some of the students may be concerned about not going into a sort of full-time permanent role straight after graduation and with the current climate what are your thoughts on taking an internship rather than what is sort of advertised as a permanent role post-graduation what would you say were the benefits of your internships I know you touched on a little bit of that earlier yeah, there's definitely um, a lot of benefits. There's also some negatives. I definitely wouldn't say one's better than the other. I have some friends who did two years of work experience and really in even an unrelated international development field and then were able to transfer their skills from an unrelated field to an international development field. So there's definitely something to be said for that. And also just to know, I mean, not all internships are paid. So definitely if it's not something that's for you, then, you know, I don't want to say that you should take one, one or the other. But for me personally, I was fortunate enough to be able to do some internships that were unpaid as well as paid. For me, it allowed me to definitely explore different areas of international development, which is what kind of Nisha was saying is you should definitely hone in on where you want to go because it's such a broad field. I think I did one in environmental, one in mental health, one in HIV and AIDS. And definitely, it was definitely a good experience in terms of breadth. And also I did different roles, which allowed me to kind of eliminate what I didn't want to do and what I kind of wanted to focus on doing. But by the time I did that, you know, you end up having different roles and you need to make sure you don't do too many internships to kind of show that you're not serious about what you want to do. So I definitely think it's good to really, you know, if you're interested in research, maybe do a lot of research internships or, you know, one or two, but don't, 
you know, go across the board too much if you want to get a permanent position. But definitely, I would definitely, like I said, I definitely don't think they're for everyone if you are not able to. And I would definitely not say one or the other, but given the current job market, if you're not able to get a job straight away and internships are the only way, I would definitely not say no. Um, but definitely, it's, I think it's an individual decision as well. Absolutely. Um, and what you just sort of mentioned around sort of having different experiences, but also being able to identify what you what you don't enjoy or what, what you're not so good at, what you might need to upskill on. I think that's something that our students may not sort of comprehend as much like, oh, I'm just going to go give it a, a try. But they don't realize that actually I'm going to get sort of know what I don't like as a result of that experience. Exactly. So definitely, you know, if it's from what Sophie said is try, you know, try something. You never know if you'll like it or not. Um, but yeah, especially in the current climate, um, which takes me on to my next question. Um, what advice would you give to the students in the audience today? Um, what should they be doing with their time whilst in the pandemic? So obviously international travel is restricted significantly um, for obvious reasons. Um, but, you know, is, what, what should they be doing with their time that's going to really advance their CV or give them the chance to sort of get their foot in the door within the industry? I think there's a couple things. I definitely think, first of all, focusing on school is really important. I think for me personally, if I would have this opportunity, I'd probably do some extra reading or read that abs not just the abstract um, at the time and definitely kind of dive into different areas, which allows you to kind of also explore your interests in a different way. But I definitely recommend all the resources we have out there. We have a chance now to take online courses, you know, learn some Excel. If you are interested in statistics, you know, you have a chance to really take courses and kind of put a lot of energy into of developing skills that you maybe necessarily wouldn't have time for. And I definitely think even just to know, I mean, it's hard to stay motivated. That's for sure. The pandemic, even for myself, I struggle to get up sometimes. And I know with students, it's not going to be any different. But I definitely think it's an opportunity to kind of push ourselves through and find kind of the online communities that have volunteering opportunities. Even for myself, I've definitely volunteered during the pandemic online and it's allowed me to meet new people. And which is really important, it's also made me, through meeting new people, made me feel like I'm moving forward, even though it seems like the world is standing still. So I definitely think it is a really great opportunity to level up your skills. Also, as Anisha was saying, find what you're interested in while you now have this time to do so. So you don't maybe take an internship that you're not necessarily interested in and, or a job that you're not necessarily interested in. So you just kind of, you know, focus on that a little bit more, but definitely um, be kind to yourself, but also push yourself. That would be my final note. I really like the way you put that in the sense that the world is sort of standing still, but we as individuals can propel ourselves forward given this newly found time where we're saving, you know, some of us are working from home and we're saving on commuting time sort of thing. Um, and sort of just, yeah, being able to take courses online and upskill it is, yeah, great advice, Pearl. Um, if I move on to Leela, um, Leela, you are a project development officer at Active. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what your role involves? Okay, so, so as a project development officer, I'm basically um, developing all of the projects that we have here in uh, Nigeria. So I work for ACTED, which is a, a French humanitarian organization, and I'm based in Bordeaux State, my degree uh, in Nigeria. So we have like a lot of projects, uh, basically life-saving assistance project and some resilience one as well. And I'm managing the project, developing all of the activities in collaboration with the program teams who are like on the field like 24 um, seven. And part of my role is actually also to like 
get to know the context very well and actually go on the field uh, on a regular basis, which I really like. So it's really like a half of my time is like kind of like office office work where I write a lot. So it's like a lot of uh, writing the proposals, being the focal point with donors, so doing like the brand, uh, brand stuff as well but also to actually take the time to get to know the context, understand the activities on the field and have like a really good idea of what's happening. So yeah, so one, one week I can be at the office and just like writing like proposals, proposals like just this, like, like those weeks because it's like the proposal season to get all the budgets for 2021. But then like the next week I will be on the field uh, to actually see the activities. So it's kind of, uh, it's kind of broad as well, I would say. Um, because I'm also like the coordinating with all the teams. So we have like a lot of people here and I'm actually the one also, you know, when we write proposals, we need like the efforts of all the teams, like program, logistics, finance, everyone. So it's like kind of also bringing everyone on board, which is interesting, challenging sometimes, but interesting. Um, and the last part I would say is um, more of like a kind of like journalistic job which I really like actually I didn't expect it in this job so this is a good surprise is to basically have some time when I have the time to yeah actually go on the field and then do some interviews uh, write some pieces of communication articles for for the H2 in Paris so yeah that's like how the job looks like basically. Yeah. I particularly sort of picked up on how everyone who's spoken so far has got a very varied role and sort of lots of skills going on um, and it's really amazing that you know you're able to go on the field and see how these sort of activities are undertaken and get involved in the interview process and that sort of thing um, which is really amazing. Um, you also took an internship straight after your studies similar to um, what Sophie was involved and you did that in Vietnam. How was that and how was the transition from university um, so yeah, so basically when I was studying at UCL, um, I was volunteering at the same time, uh, during the whole year. So I think this was very, very good actually. Um, and then I really connected with some people during the master's degree. I mean, friends, they are still friends. Um, so network is very important, but it was actually, it was not like a, a calculated thing. We just like got along and there was this girl. And she was doing this internship. She had done like this internship in the past um, at the EU delegation in Hanoi, uh, in the human rights section. And I was like, okay, that sounds like super interesting. So right after UCL, I actually yeah managed to to get the internship as well, and I did it for six months. So it was um, I think it was a good transition. I was not paid uh, like most internships, but at least uh, I mean it was Hanoi. It was like I don't know, like it was quite cheap and I was, you know, I had like managed to save some money uh, in the, like the months before, just after UCL, I actually worked for a few months to save money. Um, so it was interesting. It was um, a bit frustrating for me because it was a lot of like diplomacy and I saw that this was not really for me. I mean, at least it was a good way to discover that. Yes, it was super interesting, like in terms of contents, but for me, the EU delegation was too big. It was like a really, really big machine. So yeah, so it was good, but um, but then I knew also that I didn't want to get into like very, very big organizations. Um, and I'm actually now on the kind of like other side because like ECO, um, the EU, not the EU delegation particularly, but ECO is like a donor. So I'm in touch with them, but like from the other side. Um, so yeah, so it was, it was a good, it was a good experience. 
um, yeah, personally and also professionally. Um, again, the theme comes up sort of getting experience um, to something that you think you might want to do longer term, going in and then realizing actually, well, maybe this isn't what I want to do or discovering things that, you know, bureaucracy and that sort of thing that you're like, oh, maybe I don't want to be in a, such a large organization, which, which is great. And, you know, especially that you found that early on, straight after sort of graduation. I think that's absolutely fantastic. Um, you plan to continue your studies in law this upcoming summer. Can you tell us a bit about this and what do you hope to do in the future? Uh, yeah, so basically, um, I've been working like in the development and now humanitarian sector for, for like a few years now. And I was feeling like um, it was both like professional, but also personal experiences uh, in the workplace that really made me want to like add like another skill um, and just like, uh, you know, become a barrister, but like really specialize in uh, human rights. I don't know which field like within human rights yet, actually, like international human rights. Maybe it's going to be international human rights law, maybe ref like focusing on refugees or women. I don't know. But I thought it would be, I, don't, I was feeling that this would be like a very useful tool actually to, to defend some, some uh, people, you know, victims of, um, of human rights abuses. Uh, but to be fair, so I basically applied and uh, I'm supposed to, to start in September 2021. But I have to say that like right now, the situation here is like kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of changing like overnight. Everything can change overnight. I mean, it's the, the case with COVID-19 in the world now. But adding like a lot of security restrictions here, uh, like attacks happening like every week with our teams and stuff. And um, I'm actually wondering if I won't stay a bit longer here on this mission because like I actually have like more and more, um, you know, like uh, I'm more and more independent in my role. I get to know the context very well, which is like very rewarding and actually very interesting. So I might, I, I think I will for sure like, um, uh, study law to become, I mean, I already studied law, but just like uh, do the BPTC to become a barrister. But this might happen in 2022 or 2021. I'm trying not to be like too, trying to be flexible. I think like a lot of people um, learn how to be flexible in those, uh, those times. But I'm, I was just explaining that the, the security restrictions and challenges here are kind of like increasing this, you know, feeling of like, need to like be flexible and adapt to the situation but i do yeah. feel that one day yeah i will i really want to have a become a barrister maybe do it for like 10 years or maybe forever i don't know or maybe just having like this skill and use it in in my job that sounds amazing can i just ask where are you based at the moment lila yeah so i'm based in uh, maiduguri I don't know if you see, it's uh, the, the capital of Borno State. So it's like northeast of Nigeria in the Sahel region. So it's basically like the where, like, <laughs> where Boko Haram is. So it's like, it's, um, it's an interesting context because we are like basically in like a kind of complete, almost complete lockdown most of the time, um, except when we go on the field, but like with like very high security restrictions. But actually, yeah. you learn quite a lot on like yourself, and uh, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. I think it's something as uh, Nisha was saying, like it's so. I'm I'm very glad to be in the field, and I know that it is not something that I could do for like ten years because it's it's kind of draining as well. But you get like a lot out of it, so I think it's the best period of my life to do it. 
right wow. now. It sounds yeah. super rewarding, you know, challenging, but, you know, a, a thriving environment also, you know, if that's something that individuals thrive under, you know, uh, more you than me, but, you know, that, that's absolutely fantastic work and it must be so, so rewarding. Um, and I hope that you're able to start your UPTC this September. Um, final question, Leela, is um, what's your top tips um, for students hoping to get into international development? And what do you wish you had been told as a student? Um, so I think it's, um, it's important, like, uh, apart from obviously like developing academic skills and uh, get to know like for example for me it was like the human rights master's degree at UCL so I learned a lot on an academic point of view um, but at the same time I remember people like older than me kept telling me yeah you have to network network and I was really tired of it because for me it was like okay this doesn't feel natural but actually I understood that it's actually being like super um, curious and honest and just have like the courage, like they are sending messages, you know, sometimes people won't answer obviously because they are busy, but sending reminder and just trying. And I think that's how uh, you actually create um, a very interesting relationship. And uh, so I would say network, but not in the way like to force yourself to, to get something out of it, but just like try to just be curious, honest and ask questions to people and actually trying to see if it's this is a job that you would like to do because sometimes you have an idea about a job but actually you know it's kind of like illusion so I think that's something I would uh, I would recommend and um, yeah and keep like great relationship with uh, with the friends you make I think we it's sometimes difficult to to socialize because we are like very focused on like uh, academic grades and stuff and even though it's important I feel like the links I developed during this year, even though it was only a year, were like very, and they are still very important on a like, um, like friendship level, but also we still support each other. We still give, you know, tips to each other um, in our like, uh, you know, daily lives and like work environment. So I would really, really advise to, yeah, volunteering obviously, um, but really be curious and create, uh, like connect with people. Thank you. I really um, sort of like the bit about when you said we have an illusion of what career path we want to take or like, you know, what a job entails. But when we actually get there, it's very different, um, which is even more so, you know, encouraging from all the panelists so far who have said sort of get involved, see how it goes. If you enjoy it, great. If you don't, then you know that you don't. Um, which seems to be the take home message here today. Talking about sort of getting on the field and lots of different experiences, I'm gonna to turn to our panelist, Mark, um, the final panelist, thank you for being so patient. Um, so Mark, you're currently working within the civil service, but before this, you worked with the Red Cross. Can you tell us a bit about what your work involved, what your journey was like, how your interest um, sort of began? Because your original degree was in sort of French and politics and languages sort of thing. Um, yeah, tell us a little bit about that. Sure, hi. And um, yeah, maybe to pick up something you were saying earlier about diff different roles, different professions. Uh, yeah, I did French and politics, but there, there's roles for medics and engineers, logisticians, interpreters, all that sort of thing so but in my case the French and politics turned out to be quite quite appropriate because the International Committee of the Red Cross I'm going to be saying ICRC um, it's based in Switzerland so it's a francophone organization at heart and it works in situations of armed conflict so you're kind of embedded in in a very politicized environment so that came in quite um, appropriate I think but 
maybe to answer about what what my role was. So it's sort of split into two. There's one element where I was in in management, and another which was more sort of uh, what they call it a delegate. So if you're working more in the field, and in the management side, it, it's a lot about um, negotiation with community leaders or officials or um, the people with guns, so that the teams can do the job that they're there to do. And you're also sort of setting priorities in a geographical area, motivating a team. And, and the other side with the, the, the delegate work, I think maybe best to give example from, I was working in, uh, in Nablus in the West Bank. And so on one hand, I was doing uh, detention work, so going into Palestinian-run places of detention, prisons, interrogation centers and things, um, to monitor if they were respecting international norms. Um, and then on the other half, it was, associated with sort of the occupation. So that's to say monitoring if the Israel Defense Forces were respecting international law. And I should just say that the Red Cross is, is mandated by the Geneva Conventions to do that kind of stuff. So it's, you, you get a bit of um, oomph to have those, those conversations. And so in all those cases, you're, you're basically trying to find out what's happening on the ground. You're talking to people, you're talking to the decision makers, or if you're not, then your boss is. Um, so it's it's very very diverse though, um, and I there are other roles for doctors and engineers as well. But I'll, that's probably quick framing of how it was for me. That's brilliant. Thank you. That just sounds like um, really diverse, but definitely really rewarding, which is something that I've picked up on on all of our panelists' experiences so far. Um, is there a particular project that comes to mind that was really rewarding or quite challenging, um, Mark, that you worked on? Quite a, quite a lot come to mind, um, but a lot of the time in my case, when you're, you're dealing with, with, with prisons or with the behavior of armed forces, you're not allowed to talk about it. Um, otherwise they won't tell you anything in the first place uh, or let you in. So I, I can't talk about any of those, but there is one example I can think of, um, which is in um, a Northern part of, of Afghanistan. We were going to, to help some, some displaced people with, um, sort of pots and oil and rice and things, stuff you don't take from your house when, when you're fleeing. Um, we got there to do that. And then we found out about this, this nearby town um, that was basically situated on, on the front line. And, and the, the problem was that it was the planting season. So they had their agricultural area, but that planting area, the agricultural area for them was, was the front line. So they were much too scared to go out um, and do what they needed to do. So um, basically, because uh, I've dealt with sort of access to land issues uh, before, I thought, well, maybe we can do something here because we're neutral, we're not involved in this conflict. And so uh, organized, we had some contacts with the government officials and police and army, and then also on the Taliban side. We had that communication, we explained to them that maybe you can do a ceasefire, these guys need to, to plant stuff in their fields. Because if they can't, then they won't have any food eight or nine months from now. And, you know, it's not particularly easy to do, but we got there, everyone agreed. They had a sort of three-day window. And I think it's also good to remember that um, when you're doing aid, it's not just about dumping blankets, but it's also about what you can bring as outsiders, especially because unlikely, you know, a Brit um, who's not a medic or something, you know, sometimes it's your 
status as an outsider that comes in helpful. Wow, thank you, Mark. Um, and you recently completed your master's here at UCL. Um, it would be great to hear how you found coming back to study um, following a number of years of work experience. And would you say that your professional experience has in any way um, helped you with your studies, whether that be time management and just soft skills or like organizing your assignments, uh, who to talk to, having that courage to say to your supervisor, I don't understand or anything like that? All, all of that. <laughs> and I mean, to put it this way, I, I didn't, I don't think, I didn't stay up late once to make sure I got a submission in on, on time, um, which is not the case when I did my bachelor's. I, I think just, I don't know if my colleagues here agree, but being in the world of work, you sort of learn a little bit better to, to prioritize. Not always the case, but, and I, I just, for coming back to education, um, it was amazing. Um, I've often found like in, in the day job, you just don't get much time to, to think or to read because you're, you're just focused on, on sorting out what's, what's right in front of you. Uh, and um, I think also just appreciating availability of all of the lecturers and professors, just all about knowledge and, and access to, to academic journals and stuff like that. Definitely didn't appreciate that in my bachelor's. Um, really appreciated it coming back to do the masters. Yeah, definitely. Um, and just similar to what I've asked all the other panelists today, what advice would you give to students in the audience looking to start their careers or have an interest in this area? Um, I know you and I sort of briefly discussed a distinction between humanitarian work and sort of longer term improvement. Can you just tell the audience a little bit about that? Yes, I, well, I'm only qualified to talk about half of that, the humanitarian side, but I think the in theory, at least, it's seen that the humanitarian work is the, the sticking plaster. You're not solving anything underlying. You're just there to, to help at that instant and kind of emergency. And that can be conflict or it could be natural disaster. And then on the other hand, you would have development, which is trying to tackle longer term, quite, quite tricky systemic stuff, you know, like attitudes to gender. That's, that, that's traditionally how it would be seen, although it, 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 it can be blurred, especially as most conflicts. Attracted um, and don't disappear after a year. Um, but that's some, certainly a distinction I wasn't aware of when I set out to do aid. And the other thing that I was thinking when I, when I sort of came to be interested was, uh, you know, do I want to do policy or programs? And I didn't really know what any of that was. And I think my advice would be just find an organization that speaks to you, like find out your passion and just follow it. And it doesn't matter if you're doing a job um, that are not really what you want to do. If it's the right organization, I think that's the main thing because that's how you build your network. It's how you find out where the interesting jobs are. That, that's what I would say and kind of echo what the others have said. Yeah, definitely. I think if there's anything that's a sort of take home message from um, our panelists' views is network, you know, get involved, find out what you do like, find out what you don't like, um, and don't be afraid sort of thing just to send out messages on LinkedIn or, you know, some of our panelists today I got in touch with via LinkedIn. So, you know, it's not, you know, it's, it's an absolutely professional platform that is great to reach out to people that you may or may not know. 
Um, so definitely, you know, pick up on this. Um, we're going to open the floor to questions from the students. If you can please type your messages into the chat box. If your question is very specific, um, we do have the networking session to follow after this part. But I just want to say before I move on to the questions, thank you very much to our panelists um, so far in. Um, I think this one is for Leela. Is it still possible to volunteer for ACTED now, even though I am still in undergraduate studies from Aurora? Okay, can you hear me? Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. Uh, okay, so ACTED doesn't do volunteering, but does, uh, for, I mean, for expat, does internship opportunities. And that's actually the way how most people, I would say like 80% of my colleagues are actually got a role redacted so it's not an internship and then you know they don't hire you like if it goes well uh basically they hire you straight away after the internship which is like six months so it's um yeah and it's in the field uh most of the time i mean hq has a very few roles. it's most of people are in the field uh so in terms of like doing it when you're undergraduate so i think it's uh, absolutely possible uh, to send like a to send an application. So you just go on the ACTED uh, website and they have all the job opportunities with with internship opportunities as well. So I think it's completely possible. Then, as you know, like it's a French NGO and you know, like in, in France, people uh, get internships once they have like postgraduate degrees. This is like a very French system. Um, so that would be maybe the only limitation, but I think I would say, you know, uh, still try. I mean, you you know, you don't risk anything, so just try and it's possible uh, to get an internship, I think, yeah. Thank you, Leela. Um, there's a question for Sophie by Muslima. Um, Muslima, if you, uh, once the networking session starts, because I think that's quite a specific question um, with an anthropology background and you can take that up with Sophie. Um, I think there's a question in the chat box around how to go about getting these opportunities. Um, I mean, it, it, does anybody want to address that? It's not a specific question to anyone um, other than LinkedIn and that I've mentioned. Um, but yeah, uh, would any of the panelists like to take that in terms of where can students look for opportunities um, in international development essentially? Or getting into the field is the specific question. I, I could go. Um... Thanks, Mark. I can only say what I did, which was I signed up for, I put my name on a bunch of name of uh, mailing lists for internships and I applied for loads of them. In a nutshell, that's, that's what I did. And also I did uh, lots of kind of like small scale volunteering. I remember I was very passionate about malaria at one point and um, I was like basically captioning photos for some malaria organization um, so it's just you know on a computer but it's something you can then talk about if you get an interview or you even put it on your cv um, it didn't feel particularly important it probably wasn't but it probably helped to people to maybe get their names on one of the un rosters um, unhcr has a roster uh, they're all that it's not that you're guaranteed um, a position, but if you upload your CV to those rosters, when they have opportunities and your profile matches, um, sometimes you can get posted and you don't need to have years and years of experience in, in international development. If you've done something or if, you've, if you're able to, to set your skills against the, the criteria that they, that they 
um, include there, sometimes it does work out and it's, you don't lose anything from putting your name on there. You're just, your profile is up with them. So you, you could be on there for a while and then you could get called or you could just be on there and you can build from there. So um, look at the, look at the UNHCR, look at um, some of the other ones. UN Women has one too. Um, and I think the Norwegian Red Cross has one. So, so it's just a way of sort of, it's also good practice to get your, to see how you can craft a profile and, and get your skills up and, and, and create, create yourself a sort of story around your, around your skills and your narrative, your experience. Thank you so much. Can I also um, jump in? Um, there's a really good website called Relief Web that's out there that has a lot of opportunities. Not everyone knows about it, but it's quite popular for especially conflict emergencies and kind of humanitarian assistance positions. And they have a really great system, at least it used to be that you had volunteer, intern, job, and then you could really specify the number of years of experience you had. You can even put zero to two. And I think for me, that was even just a good resource to see what is out there because there's so much out there just even just to get an idea and you can also sort it by region which is really interesting as well so I can put it in the chat for everyone if they want. That's super helpful Sophie thank you very much. Uh, can I just add something to this? Yeah go ahead Lila yeah. thank you. So I agree yeah, really is very like very good uh, foundation to, to look for opportunities and I think then it's also as you said Sophie like a good um, place to see which organization exists, which type of role they have. And uh, you can also send, I would advise to like uh, some organizations that you really like, send actually like sometimes spontaneous applications, even though they don't have any any opening because you never know in the future. And um, then maybe they will contact you at a point and you know, it can start as sometimes like like volunteering, doing a few stuff for them. And then you know when once they have an opening, then actually they would think about you more than just like like a random CV um, popping up in their uh, mailbox. So yeah, spontaneous applications can also be um, useful. Definitely, and I think that goes back to sort of mentioning about putting yourself on mail lists because you know, you've got nothing to lose essentially just even by sending over your CV or, or a letter of interest. You've got nothing to lose other than sort of someone's going to reach out to you if they do get an opportunity, which, which is really, really good advice. Um, we've got a question here. How would you recommend we tackle our postgraduate degree and applying to lots of jobs and internships without doing worse in our degree? I think, and that's from Rebecca. And I think that that is a big concern for undergraduates and postgraduates. Um, how do we manage job applications, especially if opportunities close quite quickly and early on in the year or just around exam season? Um, so if any of the panelists would like to offer any advice on that, um, applying for jobs, you know, and also doing well at uni. I mean, I, I can take this one. Um, so I did my master's part-time and I did it with a part-time job and part-time internships as well as studying. And I, I definitely think I stretched myself too thin in terms of my studies. And so I definitely think just advice is your degree is the most important and then do the other stuff if you don't have time. But definitely if you don't can't afford to take an internship and you have to do a part-time job, you can do a part-time job that also gives you skill sets. UCL, as I remember, has a really good um, you know, student job center and you can build up experience even if it's not international development, but you have something to show for yourself as well and put something on your CV. So definitely um, in terms of studying it and in terms of balancing it, definitely you need to be careful that you don't stretch yourself too thin as well. So the only advice is I definitely think studying first and then the other stuff, that's my opinion. That's brilliant, thank you. Uh, would any of the other panelists like to add anything before I move on to the next question? We've got uh, the theme of sort of languages coming up in the, uh, the questions with a number of students asking sort of, is it worth learning a new language? 
if you don't know the language of the country that you're hoping to work in, you know, is, is that a problem? Would that be an obstacle? Um, would anyone like to take that? Because I know some of our panelists did a language our undergraduate degree. Nisha, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is a thing for, for the UK is that we don't learn languages. And so we don't get a chance to like French, you know, in, in France, you, you learn more languages and, and different, in different countries in Europe you do. But I think um, one of the, it depends, there's no good answer to this. You can go as, you know, if you want to go and, and do a, a first job or an internship somewhere where you don't speak the language, you can still go and you can do, do language learning at the same time. There are some jobs that will teach you how to learn, like for the example, for the, for the foreign service, you can learn, they teach you languages while you're studying to, while you're preparing to go and be deployed somewhere else. Um, I had Spanish, Portuguese and Italian. And so when I applied to the OAS, which is the Organization of American States, which is what brought me to DC, uh, which was through an internship, by the way, um, it, was, it, was it was desired, but not required. And so there were people who arrived with le less Spanish um, and then learnt a lot along the way. And then there were others who didn't. And they, for example, they worked more on, on the um, English speaking Caribbean issues. And so they sort of ended up focusing on those. So it depends. I would say don't don't really kill yourself over the languages. I love languages. I've always taken to them. But there are some really amazing and inspirational development professionals who focused in on their issue areas and languages that they just learned, they've sort of learned along the way or, or they haven't. So I think I'm happy to talk about something specific if someone wants to ask me something. But I think um, I think just definitely focus on your issue area. And if languages are not something that you generally are, you know, you know, you take to so well, don't worry about it too much. Don't let that become a barrier to you going into international development. Thanks, Nisha. Um, I'm just conscious of time, um, but there's um, sort of lots of questions going on about if you're not in a position to take an unpaid internship, um, which seems to be what a lot of students are facing at the minute, um, finding internships or placements that are unpaid. Um, I know some of our panelists just sort of discussed around volunteering, um, but is there anything else you'd recommend um, or any other resources that anyone's familiar with that would sort of students can reach to to get experience um, without being in a position to take an unpaid internship. Leela, can I pass that to you? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, this is a very, very important question. Actually, we had like a big debate in, within our master's degree at UCL. We signed like a petition to refuse unpaid internships. And so, because it's actually quite unfair um, that people who can have like support um, from parents or any, any other means can actually do have more experience. So, uh, I don't think there is like a very um, great solution right now, but uh, what I would recommend is actually to either do the, if it's possible, like in the current circumstances, but to do the internship in, um, in another country where it's actually way less expensive than London, because London is obviously crazy expensive, same with like big cities like Paris, New York and stuff. And for example, acted by, I know it's not the only organization, Actually, uh, they pay their interns, so not much, but then everything is included. So, for example, you go on the field, uh, they will give you like an allowance of like $300 per month, but you don't have to pay for anything. Everything is covered. And uh, then you gain experience and you can either, you know, uh, be hired uh, with a paid position or just um, move to another organization. So, yeah, I would, 
I would recommend trying to find some opportunities where you can, if you're not paid, at least everything is fully covered and you don't have to spend, you know, one euro and then, but there is, I feel like there is an in-between after you graduate and in between, yeah, your graduation and the first proper paid job for me was, it was difficult. Like I had like six months where it was really, really tricky. But I think then you need to, if that's really where you want to work, like the sector, you need to be to be patient and really motivated. And then people were always telling me, once you have like one foot in the door, then it's it's fine. And actually they were right. But the, the in-between can be very tiring and a bit um, discouraging sometimes. But that's my, yeah, that's my advice to look for a paid internship or at least everything is included covered. That's great. Thank you, Leela. Um, in terms of just a few more questions before we go into the networking part of the session, um, which is quite interesting in the sense that if we want to pursue a career in path in humanitarian field, would you suggest to enter in the sector by a master degree in law or a master more specific, specified in human rights? Um, I'm just thinking, is there a particular panelist that would like to take this? Um, no? Okay. Okay. Uh, I was going to quickly, okay. sorry. It's the, no, thank the, you, the, I mean, so, um, so you can do both. So a lot of my colleagues did like some very specific master's degree um, about like humanitarian action uh, in France and abroad as well. So this works for sure. Um, but you can also access through different paths. I, I would say that it's not like very strict. Uh, for this sector like uh, people come from like different backgrounds and uh, it's more about like concrete experience so once you have the concrete experience and you actually do the job uh, you learn basically day by day so I would say you can do both yeah yeah maybe I can add to that mm -hmm. I think that's completely right I mean the, the lawyers who work for the ICRC um, they're not really the ones in the field you do have some who are advising like on, on in the capitals but um i'd say their first work was not uh in in the field as humanitarians quite often and in fact i i'd say that the main thing is is about sort of enthusiasm and patience not necessarily a specific masters in x y or z my, my colleagues might contradict me on this, but I, I didn't have a master's when I started. It was more about just showing that I was really passionate about the, the topic and having patience. That's great. Sophie, did you want to add anything? I just I noticed you're unmuted. Oh, I wanted to ask something to the previous question about um, sure. internships. And I just was thinking, you know, I have a lot of friends who went into the private sector right straight out. What private sector I mean is they just didn't go into a charity or an NGO, but they, you know, they got marketing experience at a, let's say a private sector firm. And then they took that marketing experience and transferred into an NGO as well. And so I think there's a lot to be said for the skills you can get in the private sector straight out of university, especially if you can't afford to do an internship. I think you shouldn't be afraid to take a job that maybe isn't in the field directly. Um, I know friends who've done this and then they've done volunteering at the side in the kind of the area that they're interested in. So one of them was working, you know, private sector for marketing and then doing volunteering in a, in a charity related to environmental health. So that gave them the kind of the interest level for their next job, but also gave them skills that they could bring to that next job. So I definitely think there's, I shouldn't, students shouldn't be like discouraged that they were not gonna get their 
dream job straight out of university. I think there's a lot that you can do. And I definitely think if you get your dream job out of university, then maybe we should reevaluate it. I think, you know, you're just at the beginning of your journey. So I think, you know, sometimes you should do, get a job that is still something you're passionate about. Definitely not something you're not interested in, but definitely get a job that will give you the skills for that next job, you know, so you kind of following a path at least. Nothing's perfect, at least in, in my eyes at the moment. So, you know, prepare, put yourself in the best position that you can put yourself in. Absolutely. I think um, at least when I was a student, I, you know, I used to think you come out of university, you land the dream job and that's that's it. Um, life sadly does not work that way in most cases. If that is the case for some, that's great. That's fantastic. But, uh, you know, as the panelists have said today, and I'm sure many of you will agree, um, that's just not the way it works. But, um, you know, scaffold, build up your skill set, just as you said, Sophie, and really transfer um, what you what the experience that you can get um, into whatever your next role is. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode. We hope the discussion points around using your time at university to explore your interests and gain a variety of experiences helped you think about what your next career steps might be. So thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time on the UCL Careers podcast.